Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, the state of the cyber threat, ways to reduce and address risk. Today on the show, it's just me. I'm going to talk a little bit about the state of the cybersecurity today and threats that are going on and ways that we can um, help reduce those by looking at the six domains of cybersecurity, uh, which we've talked about on the show before. So you can check out the other episodes. Just type in cybersecurity or uh, six domains and, you, and you'll find uh, the other episodes on this. But I want to give a little bit of update and focus a little bit more today on uh, secure supply chain and application and data um, uh, security. So let's dive right in. First off, let's take a look at the state of things uh, today. Uh, cyber threats with the war uh, between uh, Russia and Ukraine, we've seen a major increase, about 300% increase in nation state attacks um, on soft targets in the United States and in Western Europe. And um, we're also seeing that trickle down into um, non-nation state attacks as well as uh, cyber uh, bad actors are starting to uh, feel more empowered and they're, they're starting to attack uh, uh, targets that um, uh, before have been kind of ignored, including a lot of targets in uh, the critical infrastructure uh, 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 sector, which includes energy, water treatment, uh, oil and gas refinery, healthcare, um, the list goes on and on. CISA has 16 sectors that they've um, identified as critical infrastructure. And we're doing our best to shore those up, but th uh, today they, they currently are soft targets. So we gotta, we gotta take a look at what we can do in those areas to help improve things. But we've had some major attacks over this last year that have caused uh, substantial financial um, and in some cases physical uh, harm uh, to individuals and to infrastructure. In fact, um, last year it's predicted that uh, data breaches have cost about $5.2 trillion globally and have exposed uh, 22.1 billion data records um, in the history of, of us collecting data around cyber attacks and data breaches. On average, most enterprises um, are trying to combat this by using several different um, security products. And on average, most uh, organizations are using around 75 uh, security products to secure their networks, um, which I think is interesting because in some respects, increasing the number of security products increases the uh, threat um, attack surface. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting dilemma that you have. One of the, um, the best quotes that I've heard is in Information Security by Bruce um, Schneier. Complexity is the worst enemy of security. And I totally agree with that. The more complex your systems are, um, there's um, bound to be more gaps involved. Right. So we've got to figure out ways to, to combat this in a, um, in, a, in a better way. And frankly, we're not doing very well. If we take a look at uh, the statistics 
on um, how long it takes to identify an attack and um, how long it takes to contain the attack. We haven't really seen any improvement over the last um, eight years or so. So from 2016 um, until now, it takes around 70 days to, once we've detected an attack, an infiltration, it takes about 70 days to uh, contain it. Uh, that's, two, that's over two months. That's a long time. But it's even worse when you look at how long it takes to actually identify that you've been infiltrated, which is up to around uh, 200, a little over 200 days. Really hasn't changed much in the last eight years. A little bit of ebb and flow um, have happened. But the cost, the cost of a data breach has gone up dramatically. Um, uh, a data breach on average now is costing about 10% more or 4.4, 4.35 million dollars per data breach. That's quite substantial. So we gotta do something about this. As and and this is this is kind of a, a game for a cat and mouse game for a lot of people. Um, it's a battle for sure. So as we increase our ability to defend, the bad actors increase their ability to um, attack. In fact, the the attacks are evolving very quickly now, and we're starting to see more attacks, specifically in five different areas. Um, Ransomware attacks are becoming more prevalent, and they're not. And this is interesting about ransomware attacks. I had a great interview um, with uh, uh, Jim Freeberg, um, who talked about the difference between federal attacks, attacks on our federal government, and attacks on state and local governments. Attacks on state and local governments tend to be more ransomware attacks. Why they're softer targets. It's not really a nation state attacking you to get money. It's, it's more, you know, bad actors, organized crime, or whatever the case may be, terrorists, or whatever that, that need money, right? That ransomware attacks are primarily focused on state and local governments and some critical infrastructure. Not so much on the federal government uh, space because they can handle those uh, pretty quickly. Um, another interesting attack that uh, we're seeing is cryptojacking, where people are actually using your infrastructure to mine crypto. And it typically uh, consumes about 40% of your uh, resource, of your endpoint, whether it's your laptop or an edge device of another sort, or even your phones even now. We're starting to see crypto uh, jacking happen. About 40% of your uh, resources are, um, are infected at this time. And um, it could go months and months and months without detection because they're pretty they're pretty smart about how they're uh, doing crypto mining. They're not doing it when someone else is using the computer. They're doing it when your computer is just plugged in and sitting idle. And and sometimes they just take over the whole thing and and just uh, go to town on it. Um, another interesting attack that we're seeing is control flow hijacking. Now this one's an interesting one and a fairly new one. Uh, that well, it's not that new, but we're starting to see more of it. And that's where they're taking legitimate application code and accessing data inside of the system. So understanding that, hey, that application is doing what it should be doing, but now it's accessing resources and sending it other places that it normally uh, does not. Uh, so that, that's a big concern, right? Because that's a way to, to um, 
hijack uh, data and, and, and get data out of organizations. Uh, the, the next one is firmware attacks. Now, this one is really interesting because as firmware um, is typically pretty held, held pretty tight, but we're starting to see more attacks on um, firmware, which is below the operating system. Um, and firmware attacks have grown about 5x over the last three years, which means they're injecting those attacks um, in the firmware before it actually gets released, which leads to the last uh, big evolving cyber threat, which is supply chain. And this is specifically, we can talk hardware, software, silicon, supply chain uh, corruption or supply chain infiltration. We've seen some of this, the most popular or infamous, I should say, one that we've heard about is the solar winds attack where they actually attacked the, uh, the DevOps pipeline. And in doing so, they injected new libraries into the software supply chain that were their own libraries and then certified them. It's, just, it's amazing, right? So these are really big problems that we have to deal with. As you can see, these are not your normal threats that we've seen over the last um, six years or so. They're, they're changing. and we break them down into three categories. We can see the different uh, vectors of those attacks that are being used. And the first one are people attacks. And believe it or not, the number one attack, 80% of all infiltrations start with phishing. The phishing attack. I It sounds um, silly. We all know, don't click on that link, but boy, they're getting really good at, at phishing attacks. In fact, just recently, um, uh, we're starting to see attacks, phishing attacks on Discord, which is really interesting, right? That you would think, hey, Discord, that, that's a little more controlled. No, no, we're seeing uh, not just email phishing, but uh, social media uh, phishing attacks. Uh, we're seeing social engineering where people are being groomed online, being groomed by cyber bad actors, right? Um, where they're share where uh, technologists are sharing information they should not be sharing on so on social media to gain access to to information about them or their company that cyber criminals are starting to to use um, to attack uh, their infrastructure. Um, we also have insider threat. That's always a problem uh, when you have people involved in um, uh, highly classified type of information and, and things like that. So those are some things we have to worry about. We're also seeing process attacks. Now this one is kind of new. Well, it's been around for a long time, but we're seeing a really huge uptick where people are actually attacking the build process and injecting themselves into these build processes, patch management, um, the software development life cycle, or even the hardware development life cycle. And which is much longer, um, we're seeing attacks even at the hardware uh, design level, which is really interesting because these attacks are now in silicon or in a motherboard, and now they're being produced and mass produced and sent out. So we're starting to see those types of attacks. We've gotta be very mindful of, of those things. And then we also have technology attacks, which um, are primarily software attacks that um, we're very used to. Software attacks uh, like um, uh, software memory attacks, DDoS, 
um, SQL um, injection um, and uh, ROP and JOP, uh, th those things. We, we've, we've seen those before. They're continuing to happen and uh, they're finding new ways to infiltrate um, using, using those techniques. Now, a lot of times people say, oh, this is all in the IT space. Uh, what we're seeing actually is starting to move over into the OT space in a big way. And, and, and OT has been really good in the past at um, isolating themselves from uh, the, the, the internet, for no better word, which means they're isolating themselves from a lot of these attacks by firewalls or air gap networks. But hey, guess what? We're starting to see uh, cyber criminals and cyber bad actors jump the air gap into the OT space and they're not prepared uh, because they've relied on this really solid, um, they call it the Purdue model. They've, they've relied on this really solid fortress that they've uh, created, but once someone's punched in, it's, it's soft on the inside and, and they're going um, hog wild crazy on there. Now, if we look what is happening behind these attacks, we find some common threads. If you look at data breaches, supply chain attacks, and ransomware, the, the uh, three big ones there, of, of the five, let's focus on these three, we see a common thread, poor cyber hygiene. And these are basic things, right? Like password protection, setting access management. Um, these, are, these are basic things, which we'll talk a little bit about in a, in a minute. But there's other things that we're seeing here too. On the data breaches, we're seeing system-centric security and data-centric security are, are separate. So people aren't, they're worried more about hardware access than data access or application access more than data access. And there's a, a really big law, uh, lack of egress monitoring. Am I watching where my data is going outside of my data center, outside of my cloud service provider, whatever the case may be. So those are some big things on data breach that we're not doing well at. On supply chain attacks, this one, it worries me a lot, actually, because uh, we don't really have great visibility or accountability into our supply chains, both hardware and software. And we'll talk more about um, supply chain attacks. Um, we're also um, basing things on just event-driven uh, event monitoring instead of continuous monitoring. So we only raise a red flag when something bad happens, but we're not we're not continuously monitoring to see what's going on and looking at patterns of change and things like that. And um, a lack of just specific product monitoring that we should be doing, that we're not. Both on the hardware side as we're building hardware up, and that includes the process monitoring and also on the software side as well. And then the last uh, major threat and what's behind it is that ransomware. Again, poor cyber hygiene, phishing attacks are are rampant in the ransomware um, uh, arena. We also have lack of uh, defense and depth in a lot of our in infrastructure. We rely on that hardened shell on the outside and it's soft in the middle, so we gotta do a better job at uh, looking at things like micro-segmentation and, and other tools like that where I'm hardening throughout. And uh, so I, I need to do a better job with my security overall on, on all these things, specifically around policy and risk management. So 
Let's talk a little bit about cyber hygiene since it was the number one issue that we saw. Um, so cyber hygiene, what it is, well, there's some really great resources out there that give you some ideas on uh, best practices on cyber hygiene. But basic security and risk management practices is, is really good cyber hygiene. So you need to establish policies and then implement those policies across your organization, not just in, in one pocket, right? And things such as least privileged, micro-segmentation, encrypting everything, multi-factor authentication, patching, getting those security patches up to date. These are your blocking and tackling of cybersecurity. If you don't do these things, all the other fancy things that you do just aren't going to matter as much, right? You're, you're still opening the gates to everyone, basically, which it's going to be hard to manage. So check out, um, and you can Google this anywhere, frankly, cyber hygiene best practices. There, there's, there's tons of great ones out there. You can also look at the NIST standard. Great ideas there on how to secure your organization. And I can seem overwhelming uh, at times, but if you look at the key principles and you start at the top, at the, at the phishing, for example, phishing or multi-factor authentication, if you start with just those two, you're going you're gonna, to um, be so much more secure than you are right now. So real quick, let's jump over um, to cybersecurity domains. So Intel's position on this is that there's six cybersecurity domains if we look at cybersecurity and break it in, into six bundles. There's threat detection, prevention, and analytics. There's identity and access management. This is your multi-factor authentication. There's data and application security. There's supply chain security, network security, and host and system security. Now, each one of these has a play. And working them together and, and not just focusing just on detection or just on supply chain is going to be good enough. You've got to have a well-rounded um, process, solution, whatever the case may be. It has to be well-rounded. You've, you've got to touch all six of these areas to have and build a strong security castle or fortress. Well, we've, this is interesting. When you look at these six domains, they really haven't changed much over the years. The technology and process improvements have. But if I take a look at the evolution of cybersecurity, it's really fascinating. Each one of these six areas all have a play all the way back to the 1990s, all through all the different types of things that we saw. Sometimes we focused more on like data and application security with encryption. And other days we looked at, oh, we need to secure the supply chain, like uh, software development supply chain. Or, hey, we need to do identity management better with multi-factor authentication. But they all touch parts of it. And until we get to today, and today I find very interesting, the big, huge uh, buzzword of the day, of course, is cybersecurity architecture. And I, I really don't like the name, I think, or zero trust architecture, sorry. I really don't like the name zero trust architecture. I think it should be zero trust philosophy or principles. Because when we hear the word architecture, we automatically think, I can just go buy that. But you really can't. Uh, zero trust 
means, changes to process, changes to paradigm, the way you think about things, and tools, and training people. So it goes back to that people, process, policy, and technology. So let's take a look at what it takes to enable zero trust. First, the first thing you have to understand are the six domains, which we already talked about. Threat detection, identity management, data and application security, network security, supply chain security, and host and system security. Understanding those and then applying zero trust principles. Now, these are interesting. Zero trust principles like default deny. Don't let anyone in. By default, don't, don't let anyone in. Contextual authentication, including temporal authentication, meaning I have access for a short period of time or a designated period of time. Granular control all the way down to data elements if you need it, right? Um, dynamic and real-time controls. Continuous monitoring. Continuous trust validation. I trusted you once. Do I trust you again? Right? I've got, I've got to establish these key principles. Now, if I apply those principles to the six domains using process and technology and training of your people, then I can truly start deploying a zero trust architecture, which includes policy management, automation on your policy engine, creating the policy admin, the security policy administration um, uh, role in your organization, which means if I do all of that together, right, then I can look at true policy enforcement um, at the endpoints, which means I'm getting information from my assets on their current state, and then I am enforcing those policies on those resources, which include not just hardware, not just virtual machines or containers, but data, applications, devices, virtual devices, virtual machines, containers, everything now fits into that default deny and that zero trust principle, meaning everything has an identity. Everything has access rights that I need to work through. And, and this is really, really important concepts. So let's take a little bit deeper look into the best practices. Where do you begin? Well, you start with the six domains. So if we start with the six domains, there's a lot to unpack there. We can be, I could, I could do a podcast on each one of the six domains, which I might do, right? So stay tuned, come back and listen and look, because we, we will do this. We'll go through each domain in detail. But today, I'm going to talk specifically about the supply chain, secure supply chain. That this has really become more complex than we even realized. Because um, if we look at the secure supply chain, we're not talking just, and a lot of times when you hear supply chain, you're thinking uh, ships sitting off the coast of California, not able to come into port, or fuel prices, driving up uh, logistics costs, all those, those are, those are part of it. But that's not all. When we look at supply chain in the microelectronics world, we have to look at silicon, uh, we have to look at hardware, we have to look at firmware, 
software, and then solutions that I'm building on top of that software. So I have to look at the supply chain of each one of those because each one is unique. Well, this could be overwhelming for any organization. I gotta, I gotta learn, I gotta be an expert in all these things. Well, the good news is, no, you don't. You, you, there's some common themes that we can see throughout all of them that if we apply um, some general zero trust philosophy against them, we'll be able to, to establish some security in each one of these domains instead of it just being a free-for-all, right? So if I take a look at those five horizontals, solution, software, firmware, hardware, silicon, and I look through its life cycle, and if I look at its life cycle, which I could say almost on a vertical space, I got suppliers of those. I have manufacturers. I have supplies. I've got manufacturers. I have an integrator. I have deployment. And then I have operations. So that's kind of the life cycle of each one of those, those five uh, levels in my solution chain. So if I look at each one, I've got to say, all right, well, uh, how do I secure the supply chain from the supplier to the manufacturer to the integrator to deployment and to operations of silicon? How do I do that for hard for each one of those? Well, there's something really interesting about this. We can break down um, securing this in two ways: physical security and digital security. So physical security, and we've already seen this with like things like FedRAMP and the GovCloud, right? Where I have trusted people in those gov clouds, right? They are U.S. citizens. They they you know go through the whole process to be certified to be FedRAMP certified, and that I trust the people in those factories and the suppliers in those factories. We we have a process for that at the at the top at the solution stack, which is really interesting, and it also includes a little bit of the software stack. So that's that physical supply chain security. We are working feverishly right now, and that's why we're building fabs in Ohio, in Arizona, New Mexico, and in Europe to shore up trusted factories in the United States and in Europe so that we can have that physical supply chain security that we need as well. So that's being done or in the process of being done. Today, if you look at where hardware comes from, if I just have like a motherboard, for example, it is amazing if, if you broke it down to all the individual components, how many countries in the world contribute to that, which is part of globalization. But when you get globalization like that, you also have fragile supply chains that you have to worry about. That's why we're seeing so much investment in into the United States to build out the supply chains um, in a more trusted way, in a more secure and reliable way. Now, on the digital supply chain, the digital supply chain security, this is interesting because we really haven't done a great job here. We've started to, in the, and people have been playing around with like blockchains and secure block uh, ledgers and, th and things like that, but we haven't seen wide adoption at the top, at the solution stack. We're starting to see it at the bottom, at the um, silicon layer, at the hardware layer where I can go and see a bomb um, of a 
device, and I can know where all the components have came, come from. We're seeing that. We're starting to see that now. But on the software side, which you would think would be easiest because we're building the software, we know where it all came from. We got, we're not seeing that yet. But there are mandates to provide software bombs, um, an executive order, um, in um, Q2 of this year, in, in Q2 of 2023. We'll see if we'll be able to pull it off as a industry. There are companies that are ahead of this. They are providing uh, S-bombs already, uh, software bombs, and there are some good standards out there that are being adopted now. But it's still in its um, infancy. It's still very nascent. Now, another thing that we need to look at on securing the supply chain is if we look at each um, level inside the supply chain, starting with suppliers, manufacturers, integration, deployment, and operations, what cybersecurity techniques can we use in each one of those? And this turns out to be actually something I can apply across all five horizontals, meaning the solutions, the hardware, firmware, um, software, um, silicon, right? Bill of materials is one from the suppliers. So if I uh, request or mandate, I need a bill of materials from my supplier. This should help out quite a bit, right? Because I know where my silicon came from. I know that it came from a factory in Portland or a factory in Ohio or a factory in uh, Arizona or a factory in Dalian, China. I, I, I can get access to that. At the hardware, same thing. Firmware, software, solution stacks. All the way at the top, I should be able to go to a cloud service provider and say, you're providing this service like RDS, for example, AWS RDS, or Azure SQL Server. You should be able to say, what, put, what was put in there to make that work? Which software stacks and which hardware is it running on? and the firmware, I should be able to get access to those bombs. So that's the benefit of the bombs. It helps build up some trust, which goes into the next part is when I'm manufacturing something, I wanna make sure that I'm protected. So I need a chain of custody. I need to know that nothing's been injected into the manufacturing process. As I've gotten my supply, I'm starting to build out my manufacturing. We do this in hardened, um, hardened operational pipelines. And, and there's some great technology on this around trusted execution environments where I can uh, make sure I know who has touched uh, the software that's being built, who has touched the silicon or the hardware, and that gives me that chain of custody. Who has touched it, who's um, manipulated it, all that. The next one is integration. So once it's manufactured, now I'm getting out to the integration. We wanna make sure that nothing changes here, right? So we need to establish a root of trust, meaning I trust where this came from, and I can guarantee that during integration, it's not changing, that those core foundational parts are not changing. And then when I get to deployment, I can use that root of trust to do attestation and certification of my manifest. So now I have everything I need in there. I can say, yes, every part of this solution or silicon or hardware that I'm delivering has been attested and certified. I know exactly what's in there. I certify that, it, that it's true. Now, we've seen attacks right here at this deployment um, level. In When people have been attacking software uh, supply chains, 
we're starting to see that happen. So you got to lock down your environment there. And then this is really interesting. The last step here, and it's on the operation side, it is I can run, I can have the most secure product you've got me. And then if on the end, when I'm running in operations, if I don't use a trusted execution environment, if I'm not establishing trust there, it doesn't matter. If I open up all of all of my firewall rules, if I don't do access management, any, anyone can access anything they want there. All the work down from the supplier up to operations doesn't matter because I've opened everything up. So I need to establish data and application security at this at this operations side. So which brings you to the next uh, domain I want to quickly talk about, which is data and application security. So when I talk about data and application security, I'm talking about encrypting and access management. See how they all tie together, the domains? But let's specifically talk about data and application security real quick. This means encrypting data. Data at rest, data in, um, in flight, and also data in use. So if I look at data at rest and data in flight, these, a lot of people are avoiding this because, oh, encryption costs too much um, time, right? It, it's like 20% overhead. It is not. It's like single, like 1%, maybe even less than 1%, depending on what you're encrypting, because a lot of the encryption algorithms are now in silicon, which means you can take advantage of the silicon to do the encryption for you, and everything is encrypted end-to-end -end encryption. And with new technology that we're seeing, like trusted execution environments, I can also encrypt memory as I'm using it. So no one can get access to it through a side channel attack or whatever the case may be. So take a look at trusted execution environments and encrypting data in use. It's, it's very important as well. And then the last thing, I just wanna make sure everyone understands, to really achieve cybersecurity and re resilience, You've got to look at the six domains, apply the zero trust principles, and build a zero trust organization that can really help establish a cybersecurity and resiliency. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.